This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Good morning, church. While our kids are making their way out, if you would grab your Bibles... If you don't have one, there are plenty in the pews in front of you, but grab a Bible, turn to Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah chapter 11. Our text this morning comes from Isaiah 11 verses 1 through 5. This is the word of our God, Isaiah 11 verses 1 through 5. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots Shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor. And decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. And faithfulness the belt of his loins. Good morning. It's a joy to be with you as we... um, embark upon our series on Advent, and as we uh, begin this series, we're looking at the book of Isaiah and the prophecies there. I'm just blown away at how rich those Christmas hymns are in theology. I remember um, Paul Silvers, a dear friend of many in the church who went home to be with the Lord, used to say to me all the time, if you want to find rich theology in hymns, look at the Christmas hymns. And uh, just just blown away by what's there. And so I'm going to be intertwining some of those lines that we just sang with our uh, text this morning. So before we do that, let's spend some time in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the grace and the mercy and the love that you have bestowed upon us. That you would meet with us in this place is just boggling because, Lord, we recognize how unworthy we are to be in the presence of a holy and perfect God. And yet, because of your great love, Father, you sent your only Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to make our union with you possible so that we could be adopted into your family. We're thankful for the gift of Christ who took our sin and nailed it to the tree. We're thankful for his works of righteousness, which we're robed in. We're thankful that he is there in heaven, making intercession for us and pleading on our behalf. Thank you, Lord, for the fellowship of the brethren as we can encourage each other in the faith. God, we know that there are some in our midst that are struggling. Pray for Tom Moore as he's struggling physically, and we just pray that you would place your hand upon him. We pray for Ava Corns, God, and we pray that you would continue just to give direction there. Um, In her situation, she was taken to the hospital, Lord. And um, we do pray, Lord, um, for Carrie Campus and 
his battle with cancer. Lord, we know that you are a good and gracious God and you are the great physician. You are one who loves us deeply. And so, Lord, we know that we can bring our requests before you. We come come boldly to the throne. And we know that we are heard because we are your children, not because of any good works in us, but because of your beloved Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who empowers us and strengthens us and convicts us and draws us ever more to know you intimately and personally. We pray that you would speak to us this hour. I pray that you would uh, protect my, um, my preaching, Lord, that I would not say anything more nor less than you've given me to say. But God, that I would be faithful to your word. I pray that we who are hearing your word preached, that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive. As we pray each and every week, we pray, Lord, that we wouldn't just come in and leave the same people, but that we would be changed, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds through your word as the Spirit accompanies that word and transforms us. So, Lord, we are thankful for all that you do on our behalf, and we pray now that you would minister, minister to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. In God's people said. There's something beautiful about any story where there's a hero. And if you're a Michigan fan, uh, there were a few heroes, weren't there? If you're a Michigan fan, you could say, J.J. McCarthy, the quarterback, is my hero. Four touchdowns in one game, three passing, one running. Or maybe you're more of a running guy and you think uh, Donovan Edwards in his tough running Two breakaways, one at 75 yards and one at 85 yards, all with a cast on his hand. And you say, well, that's, that's a hero. That's a guy we should look up to. This all contributed to a 45-23 route of their arch enemies of that team down south. Right? We look at that and we say, man, that's powerful. That's, that's great. In fact, every year as Michigan goes to play Ohio State, you, know, you look at it and you say, who's going to be the hero this year? And this year, i got to admit, it's a little bit more special because we have Jerry with us from Ohio, and I get to rub it in that we just beat them up. But there may be some in the, in the sanctuary here who say, Aaron, I'm looking for real heroes, not simply some people who are scoring points in a game. I'm looking for those who protect, those who stand in the way, those who, 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 who stand up for others. Maybe what comes to mind is one such hero during the 9-11 attack by the name of Todd Beamer. His airline flight, Flight 93, was hijacked and the plane was going to be used as a weapon to run into the Capitol. Todd Beamer and other passengers attempted to storm the cockpit that day and retake the plane. And there's a definition of a hero, isn't it? Unfortunately, all 44 occupants, that includes the passengers, the crews, and even the hijackers were killed when the plane went down in Pennsylvania. But the good news is, it never reached its intended target, and many lives were saved. Todd Beamer even gave us famous last words when he said, let's roll. You say, well, there, there's a picture of a hero. Friends, as, as good as Todd Beamer is, as good as J.J. McCarthy or Donovan Edwards, the truth of the matter is there is only one real hero, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah. He's the greatest hero of all time. He's the greatest champion ever. 
Abraham Kuyper, a Dutch theologian, once said, there is not one square inch that Christ cannot say, mine. Because Christ is the greatest champion. Everyone and everything bows down to him. He's the true hero of the hopeless. He came to save those who cannot save themselves. And friends, that's the good news that the gospel brings us. But who is this promised one? That's what Isaiah sets out to help us identify. Who is this promised one? Who is Jesus Christ? I remember what Mark Jones, a theologian, once said. He said, we are never on the right track. When we speak of salvation in terms of Christ died for us, without understanding who Christ is for us. Let me say that again. We are never on the right track when we speak of salvation in terms of Christ died for us when we don't understand who Christ is for us. And so Isaiah does a great blessing to us, a great encouragement to us, as he won't just simply let us hear of the message of what Christ has done, but he pictures for us who this Messiah is. Who is this Messiah? We look at our text and we see these words. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Interesting enough, the first mention of the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ, is not this text. If you have Isaiah, go back just a couple of chapters and you read yet again of a mention of the promised Messiah. And yet, you can actually go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, right after the fall of Adam and Eve, we're given a picture of the promised one. You know what it says about him? He is the one who will crush the head of Satan, our arch enemy, our greatest rival. And this is the picture we're given in Scripture of the promised one. And here, Isaiah begins to build on that to show us more detail of who this promised one will be. Again, I draw you to verse 1. There shall come forth from a shoot from the stump of Jesse a branch from his roots. We read that. We begin to wrestle with what is it even saying? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense in our day and age. A stump, a shoot, a root? Are we farming? What are we doing here? Yes. Stump is what's left after, after a tree falls. And the picture in our text is the picture of what will happen when rebellious Judah would fall at the hands of of another group, another world power. And yet what's interesting is it's surrounded in this text of other trees, other great powers that had fallen. One specifically mentioned is Assyria. What we need to know about Assyria is Assyria in 722 was used to judge the people of God, the northern tribe, Israel, because of their rebellion, their idol worship, their their lack of true worship for God. So God in their apostasy, judged them by allowing a Gentile world power to override them. And here in our text, Isaiah is speaking to the southern tribe, pointing them back to remember what happened 
to the northern tribe, pointing them back to remind them what happened to the world power of Assyria and how they are a stump. Yet what's ironic in the backstory of the book of Isaiah is the people of Judah were actually appealing to a defeated people, the Assyrians, for protection from the Babylonians. Now, if you're not lost in all that, understand simply this. They were looking for worldly powers to protect them rather than trusting in God. And so Isaiah begins to write. And he talks of a shoot that will come from the stump of Jesse. Friends, this is important because we need to understand that this stump was a stump of a fallen tree. The tree was the people of Israel as they were being judged by God. In fact, the reference is the stump of Jesse, not the stump of David. That should spark the reader because it's through David that all the promises were given. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, we're told that it was through the line of David that the kingship would live on forever. And yet here, Isaiah refers back to David's father, Jesse, almost saying, all that great stuff David did, it's an obscurity now. It's lost. And yet from that stump, would come a shoot, a shoot that would grow. And look at the end of verse 1, and would bear fruit. It's that shoot that we begin to talk about. And you say, well, what is a shoot, Aaron? A shoot is a sapling. It's a, it's a weak little plant that, that's growing from this stump that had been cut down and left as it remains. There from that stump is this little shoot, this little growth. And that little growth is a picture of baby Jesus who came in the most humble of way to a poor mother and father here on earth, Mary and Joseph, born in in an amazing way, the virgin birth. But he was going to come in the most humble of ways, like this delicate little shoot. But it was through this shoot that fruit would come. And that's the picture of what Isaiah gives us as he directs our attention to who this is. That shoot appears as a sampling, a small, young, slender tree growing from that stump. And we hear the words of that ancient hymn we just sang when it says, Lo, how a rose blooming from tender stem hath sprung. Of Jesse's lineage coming, as men of old have sung, it came a flower bright amid the cold of winter. As you hear those words, what I want you to see is how accurate the writers of that hymn were and faithful to this 11th chapter of Isaiah. The calling and referencing the Messiah as the rose. The rose of Sharon is often the description there comes from the Song of Songs. It's a picture of the the faithful one. And here that rose, that, that beautiful flower, that rose of Sharon is just a sampling. In our yard, we have a rose bush and Amanda loves roses and and we have this beautiful rose bush that comes out. And every once in a while, I go back there just to kind of play with it and trim it. Unfortunately, sometimes I trim too far back. And now we have these stumps (laughs) 
where nothing grows. I can appreciate visually how wonderful it would be if from one of those stumps uh, 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 just a little shoot would come. So I could say, see? See, I didn't destroy it. I didn't utterly uh, break up your beautiful flower. And that's exactly what Isaiah is pointing for us towards. That because of the sin, yet even in the face of all the wretchedness of Israel and Judah, God is still faithful. And there the, the sapling grows. In that ancient hymn, we have the words the old have sung as they sang about the promised one, as we've already referenced, Genesis 3.15 was the first giving of a promised Messiah. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16 is the promise to David. Isaiah 9, Isaiah 11, again and again we see pictures and illustrations of the Messiah who would come. And all through church history, the church has sung praises to the Messiah. Again, we reference the ancient hymn where it says, flower bright amid the cold of winter. It's a picture of when the Messiah would come during the coldest time. Not talking about weather. Talking about looking at their plight. As you look at the plight of the people, you see Rome holding him under their thumb forcing them to do their will and live for their purposes. You can imagine how many desired so desperately for a hero to come to free them from that judgment. And so the question we find ourselves is, are we longing for that coming? Do we long for Jesus? Do we long for that Savior? Do we hunger for Christ? As the story continues, we move from who he is to this hero's ability. Look at verse 2. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This picture here is that his power comes from the spirit of the Lord. Friends, this isn't a new concept. Again, all through the Old Testament and New Testament, we see pictures of how the Spirit is the one who pours out strength and power and wisdom upon those whom he's working. We see it upon the judges. In, in Judges chapter 3, verse 10, where it says the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. And you see that repeated as you go through the book of Judges. Or even upon the builders of the instruments of worship in Exodus 31. We read, I have filled him with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and with all craftsmanship. It's the spirit of God that enables. And here we see the strength of the hero of our text comes from the Holy Spirit resting upon him. Spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and might, a spirit of knowledge and fear. The Spirit of the Lord establishes the kingdom. It is he that empowers the great son of David, the Messiah. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we see this. It's marked by Jesus' baptism. 
At age 30, Jesus is beginning his priestly ministry. And just like all the other priests, he was to be anointed. But here we see Jesus anointed at his baptism. And what are we told in Matthew 3? But the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. The Spirit of God would empower him. His dependence would be upon the Spirit. And his dependence is a picture of our dependence. Our dependence upon the Spirit for strength and ability. It's all seen as the promise of the new covenant of what God would do. Ezekiel 36, 27, it says, I will put my spirit within you, give you soft hearts, empower you to obey. It's the spirit's work in the believer that does that. We also see it in Joel chapter two. We're told, I will pour out my spirit upon you. This pouring out of the spirit becomes a reality in the picture of Acts 2 as the apostles at Pentecost are visited by the Holy Spirit in a powerful way. It's through this work of the Spirit that the son of David, the promised Messiah, who comes as a sampling, will actually bear fruit as he comes to save and empower us. Again, I draw your, your attention to the words of that ancient hymn, True Man, Yet Very God. True man, but yet very God. From sin and death, he saves us and lightens every load. True man and very God saves us from sin and death, and yet he also lightens every load. Don't miss that. Not only are we saved from sin and death, but by the Holy Spirit, we're empowered to live faithfully. And yet, the words of Isaiah found in verse 3 pick up as it says, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. I want to draw your attention to one word, the word delight. When you look at the word delight, our idea immediately goes to the heart, to the affections, to the emotions. And yet what the word literally means in the Hebrew is smells. <laughs> And you think about why, why is this word delight attached to the word smells? Because it's the idea that he could smell the fear, the fear of the Lord. Too often we look at the idea of fear as a bad thing. Fear can mean reverence, fear can mean respect, it can mean to honor, but it also means to fear. I think about my relationship with my father. I respected him, I honored him. But my dad raised four boys. He knew how to tan hides. We also feared him. And the same is true in our relationship with God as Israel was learning by the stumps. God is to be feared. And J.I. Packer talks about the problem with this generation. He says that the number one problem with this generation is its lack of reverence and holiness. We don't truly fear the Lord. And yet here we're, to, we're told that his delight or his smelling of this fear of the Lord, it brings him delight as he smells the fear of the Lord. It's a, it's a pleasant smell when they're wholly devoted to the Lord himself and his people. In fact, as you look at Jesus' ministries, it can be summed up with these words, he did his father's will. 
It was a joy for him to do the will of the Father. He delighted in the fear of the Lord with reverence, yes, respect, yes, honor, yes, but also obedience. And all this came through the power of the Spirit. It's the same Spirit you and I have Jesus in his humanity was able to do all that he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so are we. The question is, do we see the power and strength of the promised hero in our lives? Do we see the the victory he provides for us to overcome sin and temptation, to pursue righteousness? Are we trusting in him? Are we wholly devoted to him? These are the questions that that Isaiah begins to to bubble up with. And as we wrestle with who this, this sapling is and the benefit he has for us is that he came as a baby for what purpose? To bear fruit. To bear fruit. And finally, we look at what the hero's reign looks like. The ultimate picture of this fruit. Look at verse 4. But with the righteous, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. Friends, his reign is just. His, his reign is compassionate. This hero's reign is about help to the hopeless. That's exactly the picture that the writer of our hymn says. He dispels the glorious splendor, the darkness everywhere. He gets rid of the darkness. He brings justice. He brings righteousness. He brings peace. That's what the reign of Christ looks like. That's what we hope for. That's the kind of hero we really ultimately want. One who brings these things we so desperately desire. The fallen stumps of government after government. The fallen trees, I should say, and the leftover stumps as we look so often to the wrong things for hope. Rather than looking to the promised one, the real hero, Jesus Christ. And yet when he comes, yes, he comes the first time as a sapling. And yet the picture of his second coming is found in Revelation 19.5. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, which to strike down the nations, he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress and the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. He comes as a warrior. He comes to crush his enemies with the rod of his mouth, with the, with the breath of his lips. This is who this hero is. And then we come to verse 5. His reign continues in this description. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. This idea of belt is this idea of wrestling that when, when champions would go together to wrestle, they would have belts around their, around their waist and one champion would lose his belt to another. I, I think in many sense, that's how we get into the boxing arena. We have belts that is won. Or if you're a WWF fan, that's how a belt is won, right? Is that ultimately what is lost by the champion as he gives up his belt to another. Notice this hero never loses. His belt around his waist is perfect righteousness. It's perfect faithfulness. 
And yet we see the picture of his reign as it's depicted from verses 6 all the way down to verse 16. But let me just read verse 6. The, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fatted calf together. And the little child shall lead them. The sapling shall lead them. The one who comes from the stump shall lead them. This is the picture of the Messiah, the hero, our hope. truth is we all should desire this kind of reign, a reign where there's true peace, true justice, true righteousness, true faithfulness. We must stop placing our hopes in the things of this world and place our hope upon the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ alone. And so we look again at our ancient hymn where we read these words, O Savior, child of Mary, who felt our human woe, O Savior, King of glory, who dost our weakness know, bring us at length, we pray, to the brightest courts of heaven and to the endless day. This line repeats what has already been said, that he is truly God and he is truly man. He is, in fact, the son of Mary, 100% human. He therefore understands our woes. Jesus knows your heartbreak. He knows your frustration. He knows your temptation. He understands your hurt. And yet he's not just the son of Mary. He's the king of glory because he's 100% God. He can actually do something about our plight. The Savior King brings hope to the hopeless. The Savior King who comes in the form of a child will lead us to true peace, true righteousness, true faithfulness, true justice. But the question for each of us is, do we long for that kind of reign? Do we long for Christ or the heroes of this world? Friends, the bottom line is, each and every one of us in this room needs a hero to save us because we cannot save ourselves. Jesus Christ is that hero. He is the promised one. He is the shoot from the stump of Jesse. He came to defeat death and hell. He came to empower us to fear and to obey the Lord. Jesus is the hero on whom the power of God rests as the spirit of the Lord rests upon him. Jesus is the hero who reigns in perfect justice, perfect peace, perfect righteousness, perfect faithfulness. And he does this over all people. Because he and he alone is the true champion. So we need to stop looking for heroes elsewhere and sing the praises of King Jesus. As we close, I draw your attention to Psalm 2. And Psalm 2 is a psalm about kingship. Psalm 2 talks about ultimately what it is to love the true king. Listen to the words of Psalm 2. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. That's what it means to truly love the king. To serve the Lord with fear and to rejoice with trembling. The smell of fear should be upon each and every one of us. And it gives God glory as we fear him appropriately. 
And what should our response be? But to kiss the son, the psalmist says. Kiss the son. Run to him. Kiss him. And it ends with these words in verse 12. It says, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Friends, Jesus is the true hero. May we cling to him. Let's pray. Father, as we close our Bibles, as we, um, as we put away um, this text, may it be put away from the sense that our Bibles are closed, but it may not be put away from the challenge of where our real loyalties and hope lies. May our loyalties and hope lie in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the fact that out of death you can bring life, as that is the perfect picture of the stump. God, we're thankful for the, the fact that Jesus came in such a humble way so that he could understand our ailments, our fears, our problems, our temptations. And yet we're thankful that he has been given the spirit of Christ poured out upon him as, as that spirit empowers him to do all that was necessary to save sinners. Thank you for the empowerment we have been given to obey. May our hearts be in tune and in love with you as our greatest joy and our chief hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name. God's people said. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.